Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. With the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Bless this reading of the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. On Sunday mornings, we've been discussing uh, a book by Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan called The Last Week. And the book opens up with the Psalm, uh, the Palm Sunday uh, events that we just read about. And in this book, Marcus, and, uh, Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan point out that as Jesus is entering the city from the east, from the west side, coming up from Caesarea Philippi is Pilate, Pontius Pilate. 
the Roman prefect. And he is coming through the west gate as Jesus is entering in the east gate. And the poor people gather around Jesus riding on this donkey, waving their palms and laying their cloaks. Incidentally, the, the thing we read today didn't say anything about palms. I just noticed that first time today. Interesting. Kind of ruins the whole thing, doesn't it? <laughs> it says they, they threw their cloaks down on the ground. But, uh, you know, we went to another gospel. They mentioned palms waving. But, uh, but across town, in comes Pontius Pilate. And there's no cloaks being thrown down, and there's no donkey. There are a lot of soldiers. And there are trumpets. And there are people who are conscripted to line the streets and hail Caesar and hail Pontius Pilate as he enters the city and surrounded by his guards and being carried forward up to Herod's palace, which is right next to Jerusalem, to the, the, the temple there. And the entering of the city by Jesus riding on a donkey among the poor represents a stark contrast between the domination system of Rome and the collaborators in Jerusalem who are the religious authorities and the Jewish aristocracy who have kept the poor poor who have collaborated with Rome to keep people oppressed. Jesus represents a contrast to that as they come into the city. And so we have two parades going on in Jerusalem in preparation for Passover. One representing domination and religious uh, affirmation of that domination. And the other one representing peace of God and uh, a new day and a new way. Within, within Rome, under the Roman uh, domination system, we were experiencing peace. At this time, there really wasn't a lot of turmoil going on. People weren't, there were a few rebellions, but not a lot. And that's because it was the era of Pax Romana. It was the era of Roman peace. After the final, the last battle was, run, was won just a few years prior, Caesar was declared what? The Prince of Peace. Who does that sound like? But it was maintained and it was brought about by violent overthrow and violent containing of the people. Crucifixion represented a way people were kept under control. Because crucifixion was a very public execution that was reserved for two kinds of people. Those who rebelled against the state, those who rebelled against Rome, and those who had slaves who had run away from their masters. And the reason crucifixion was reserved for those two is because it became a public deterrent. You had to think twice before you wanted to risk 
the pain and suffering of crucifixion. You had to think twice before you took up arms against the Roman oppression or whether you wanted to leave your master and go and seek freedom. Many did. So there was plenty of crucifixion going on. But it was brutal and it was ugly and it was imperial terrorism. Contrast that to Jesus and, and the things that Jesus is saying when He comes marching into Jerusalem carried on a donkey. And this, this image that we have, Jesus is deliberately painting a picture for us and deliberately conveying some messages to the people of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the significance of Jesus being on a donkey, and we're told in Luke that uh, He arranged this all ahead of time. And it was a, it was a planned parade. And it was meant to, to bring about some attention and get Jesus some attention. But the, the reason Jesus rides on a donkey is He's, echo, he's echoing uh, Zechariah 9.9 where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem! Lo, your King comes to you! Triumphant and victorious is He! Humble and riding on a donkey! On a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. And the what this story is about, what Zechariah is conveying in its context is a day of victory after the wars have all been won and the king comes riding back into Jerusalem to declare peace. A time of peace when everything is over and the king can reign in peace. Because when a warrior went out to war, he rode a mighty horse and he carried a big sword. But when the wars were over, he rode a donkey pointing to the fact that the wars had ended and there was no need for the sword anymore. And so Jesus, first of all, everyone who saw Jesus riding into town on that donkey, they knew exactly what that meant. They knew this verse because this had been become one of the verses that, they, that everyone had attached to the expectation of the coming Messiah. However, what they didn't realize, what they didn't pay much attention to was this notion about a donkey and the declaration of peace. What was missing in this picture, what they weren't expecting, what Jesus kind of confounded and mixed everyone up with was the fact that the war hadn't happened yet. Jesus rode into town declaring peace, but what happened to the stallion and the sword? And that was the part that everyone was expecting and waiting for. They were waiting for the kind of Messiah who would mount up a rebellion, kick Rome out, kick out the high priests and all of their collaborative works in the temple, and take over Jerusalem and become a new kingdom like that one that David had in the heyday of the Hebrew people when David was king. That's the kind of Messiah they were expecting. And here comes Jesus on a donkey declaring peace before the war even happened. And so it serves as this huge contrast between the kingdom of Rome and Roman domination system and the and the collaboration of the temple system in all of that, and the kingdom of God. Like most of what Jesus has to say, 
it, this drew a contrast between the world his followers lived in and the expectations God laid on the kingdom of God proclaimed by Christ. The domination system of the Romans and the equitable system of God that is just. The Romans promised peace, but they did it through violence. Jesus on Palm Sunday declares a different kind of peace as we just described. I have to say that in many ways things are really all not all that much different in the world we live in now. Now granted, we're not an occupied state and we're not under a foreign oligarchy, yet the contrast between the world we live in and the kingdom of God that Jesus declares seems still just as stark as it did on Palm Sunday. And like Martin Luther King Jr. marching in Birmingham, this Palm Sunday march draws attention to the realities of the world and how far it is from our own ideals. For us today, there is still this choice between the equitable and just kingdom of God or a world where peace is for the few and it's found at the expense of the many. You know, and I really, I really kind of wish that the way we accomplished this was by rallying the people and everyone would come around to seeing that the kingdom of God is a better choice. I really wish, I really wish that the powers of my persuasion and all the really good preachers out there, all three of us, all the really good preachers, I really wish that uh, it was so impactful that the things we said and did here in this sanctuary rang out across the world and people went, holy cow, we've been doing it all wrong all along. We should, we should you know, rethink the way we interact with our fellow humans. We should really rethink the way we go about bringing about peace. We should really rethink the way we structure our society and our culture. And it ought to look a lot more like the kingdom of God. Don't you wish? And Congress would get together and go, how can we support this whole kingdom of God idea that Pastor Curtis came up with? (laughs) I really wish it was that easy. But of course it's not. The best preachers out there have been trying for two millennia to bring about that kind of peace. The best prophets we have, the best church people we have, the best women's groups in the world have been trying to persuade the world that there's a better way. And I wish somehow just the power of that message changed things and rallied people around. But of course it doesn't. And it didn't work that way in Jesus' time. And it's no different than it is today. The equitable and just kingdom of God has been getting rejected by the dominant system in our world for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, the people in power have rejected the kingdom of God over and over again. Why? Because they're in power. (laughs) And embracing the kingdom of God means handing that power over to God. 
How can we be surprised that they aren't willing to give it up? The way it works today is the way it worked in Jesus' time. The way we change the world is how Jesus changed it. By refusing to buy into it. Jesus took this bunch of ragtag, haggard, beat down fishermen and tax collectors, and he said, The world tells you this is the way things are, but I tell you it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We can declare peace and not even engage in a war. The world tells you you are poor, I say you're rich. The world tells you that you are meek, I say you're powerful. The world tells you you are a slave, I say you're free. The world says you are unworthy, you are sinful, you are dirty and can't be touched, I say your sins are forgiven. Now what are you going to do? Jesus empowered the people to confound the realities of their situation by living as one who has been transformed. And then the early church, it kind of carries it forward. The rich have everything. The poor have nothing. Okay, well let's give it all to God. And they held everything in common and gave to those who were in need. You remember that part of Acts? The rebellion finally gets moving and people are taking up arms against Rome. Sorry, the peace of God wants us for, wants for us. What? The peace of God wants for us cannot be accomplished through violent overthrow and we won't buy into that. Jews and Gentiles, they shouldn't get together. Well, they are here in the kingdom of God and in the church. Amen. Men and women, they shouldn't get together and be equals. Well, they are here in the church, for there is no longer male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. Oh, slave and free, they shouldn't get together. There is only one master here, and no one is a slave. Amen? Amen. The kingdom of God... And the church of Christ are meant to confound and contrast the world we live in today. And following Christ means that we must choose to live differently. And that by our living differently, the kingdom of God is heralded in, is realized, is lifted up and lived out. The kingdom of God says that we are all intimately connected one to another. But the world says each person is for themselves. You've got to fend for yourself. And then it paints the illusion that hard work somehow means, means prosperity. But in the kingdom of God, we're, we're together. We're one, connected one to another. And there is no one who stands alone. Prosperity cannot be prosperity unless all prosper the world says that something is wrong with you if you don't fit a particular box and that helps keep things in a in a nice black and white world oh we like that it's so much easier if everything is black and white and there's hard fast lines and everyone fits in this little box and we kind of hide this is this is what you this is so prominent in Utah. We kind of hide those things that don't quite fit in. We kind of tuck them away off out in the, uh, where people don't see them. 
right? And we put up a nice big mall to hide it all, right? And then we shove everyone out to the side. Everything black and white, that's how we like it. But the kingdom of God says God makes no mistakes. You're on the right track, baby. You were born that way. Or Lady Gaga said that, but she got it from God, right? Kingdom of God says, no, 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 no. Vive la différence. We love how diverse and how vast and how wonderful and how creative the world is. Our God is too big for just one frame of mind, one box and black and white ideas. Our God is comfortable with the grayness of the world and the ambiguity of how we work together to become one. The world says that God sits in judgment on the individual and on your personal piety. And which group you belong to is what really matters. But the kingdom of God says the only judgment is against the system that tries to keep people away from God by making all of these restrictions. And what really matters is experiencing God's love for you and for the world. Experiencing God's love. That's what makes the difference. Experiencing God's love. That's what the, the whole of the Gospel and the Bible, in fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament is trying to point to. What God wants most for every single individual and all of us collective is that we would experience God's love and know it. So Palm Sunday was meant to convey two things to the people of Jerusalem. That the kingdom of God is different than the world we live in today. It's meant to draw that line. The same way Gandhi's marching said you cannot oppress the Indian people anymore because it's not right and it became so clear every time Gandhi led a march in the same way the people of Salma and Birmingham rallied and marched and how ridiculous the south looked in the face of those contrasts of the way the world should be and the way the world is in that same way Jesus drew those contrasts and made it painfully obvious that something is wrong in the world. The kingdom of God is different than the world we live in today. That was the first thing that Jesus was conveying. The second thing is that you are empowered with God's help to change it. Second message is you are empowered to change the world. And this is what it conveys to you and me today. You are empowered to change it. I wish everyone would just rally, but the way that empowerment works is pretty much one person at a time choosing to say, I'm not going to buy in to this system. I'm going to live in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to live in a way that Jesus calls us to live. And it's going to be a contrast to the world around me.
Two parades came into town on that day. One celebrating the violent domination system of Rome and the religious institutions that collaborated with them. And one that celebrated God's just and equitable kingdom where humanity is valued and God's love prevails. We choose one or the other every day. In little ways and in huge ways. We choose. As Easter approaches, I pray that we will all commit to choosing the latter with boldness and with eagerness and with the power of the Holy Spirit driving us forward every chance we get. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, on this Palm Sunday, we again rejoice with those who gathered around You and we choose the Kingdom of God knowing that it is a better way. Be with us as we come into Holy Week, as we experience Your passion, as we know the pain and suffering of Your crucifixion, and as we prepare for victory over death in the empty tomb and your rising again. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.